Welcome to Scores and Pours, everyone. Well, hi, Jill Mott, the sommelier. Hello, Emily Reese, radio host and classical music and jazz extraordinaire. Good day. Yeah, so we're going to talk about session beers. Sessions. Sessionable things. Sessionable things. Well, we, it started out as like, because we had a heat wave here in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago, and, you know, um, or maybe a month ago by the time you're listening to this. And I was like, what do people want to drink in the heat? Well, we had our wines of summer, right? So that kind of seemed a little bit like a little bit doubling up on on a topic. And you were going to do Firebird Sweet. And I was like listening to it. And it was like, do I do I want to listen to Firebird Sweet when it's 94 degrees? Well, I was going to do the ballet, but go on. Yeah. Okay, true. <laughs> but then I was thinking like, I know I kind of just want to like listen to TLC and be back by a pool when it's... And so then I thought, well, wait, why don't... Session beers you could obviously have when it's hot out, but then I started to think about what session beers are all about, and they're literally all about like for the most part kind of hanging out with your homies, and I'll go into that later. So then I thought, Emily, what if you picked out music that's like really good to listen to your homies that of course you can pay attention to, but if you just start getting really ensconced in your conversation and there's there's noise coming out of a speaker, but it's very choice tasty noise. Yeah. You're just not, you know, it's meant to be balanced and low alcohol yeah. <laughs> as, as it were. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I would say any of these things are low alcohol necessarily, but they're definitely things that work well in the background or also re- work really, really well if you want to, you know, actually listen to them. But, you know, in terms of them working well in the background, there's definitely classical music and jazz that just just does not work well in the background. And I think, you know, certain opera is a good example or, um, you know, things that have words you want to attend, you want to listen to or pay attention to that can Mm -hmm. be distraction. Distraction. That's the key word I think that we're searching for here is like things that are going to distract you from your cooking with your friend or having a nice conversation or whatever you're whatever you're doing that yeah. music and or drinks are involved. Yep, and and it's not like this music, again, like some of this music I feel is like some of the best music in the world. So I think it's very easy to do a really serious listen to it. But again, I just want to emphasize that it works really well just off in the distance as well, whether you are hanging out with friends or you're getting work done around the house or whatever it is that you just want something that assists you with your event. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's what, I mean, if I would have strictly chosen background beers, as it were, I would have gotten Bud Light. You know, pardon me if anybody loves Bud Light out there, because Bud Light can be tasty and light and whatever people want to drink. But uh, when it's below a certain alcohol level, check. But I also don't want it to be water, right? Like I want to taste it and I want to know, wow, this is really well-made beer. It's really it's really good. It's really emblematic of the style they're trying to make. Yet it checks those boxes 
of a session mirror. So do you want to even know what the hell a session mirror is? Well, I do, but let me just tell you some of the music I picked right oh, away. Because, yeah. I mean, we are not we don't have to listen right off the bat, but I, I do like kind of letting people know right away what we're going to talk okay, about. Okay, go so right ahead. I did pick some keyboard music by Johann Sebastian Bach. It can be harpsichord or piano. I chose piano just to make everybody happy. And then... Okay, uh, yeah, I'm smiling over <laughs> here from the opposite side of the booth being like... Good choice, Emily Reese. Way to put way to put the listeners first. Yes, uh, and then I chose a string quartet by Haydn, and then for jazz, I chose a saxophonist named Lester Young. So that's what we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I absolutely want to know what a session beer is because I know that I like drinking them. Well, how, what's the percentage would you say of people that drink craft beer? So they know know kind of the difference between styles and they know perhaps some of the pinnacle producers in said style. What percentage of people don't know, craft beer drinkers, don't know what a session beer really is? I mean, probably a lot of them, like most of them. Okay, well, that's uh, really ambiguous, but that's probably good. Uh, no, 75%. No, it's, it's the opposite. It's about 25% of craft beer, pe- people that drink craft beer often wonder what a session beer is or what that means. I think it's higher than that. I don't know, quite 75% might be a little high, but I find that beer turds, and I call them beer turds, I, I mean like, you know, the dudes that flannel and, you know, birth control glasses and like the big, huge well, beards. Well, now. Oh, well, I mean, they, they, some of them are my good friends, so I feel okay saying that. I've said it to their, I've said it to their faces. It's great. But people, they'll say, yeah, you know, I'm drinking this beer and it's a good, it's a good session beer. And like, you know, cause it's like great when I'm like, you know, I can drink it in a session and it's like 7.4% alcohol. I'm like, well, just cause you can drink it with your friends, which then you call that a session, does not a session beer make. Yeah. Okay? So a session beer is a beer that normally caps out or tops out at about 5% alcohol. Some people will say 4% alcohol. Of mm. course, there are some, the inclusive folks, that are like, well, no, it's actually six, but six is getting a little bit up there. Yeah. A session beer is meant to be enjoyed you know, with your friends Well, I shouldn't say that. You don't want it to be a distraction with whatever you're doing. You want to have a delicious brew. You might be in a pub for a few hours or you're having, you know, friends, backyard barbecue, family. Fourth of July is a great example. I want a beer that's three or 4% so I can have a few and not be all buzzed. Yeah. And that's the definition of a session ale. You can drink a few of them in a session. They're low alcohol. And they're still really distinctive of, you know, if it says a session pale ale, well, I'm not going to guess that this is a lager or an IPA. It's going to be, taste like a pale ale, just going to taste a little bit lighter. And there are some styles that are almost always session ales because the style is always a lower alcohol style, but we'll talk about the few beers that I brought in two shakes. Cool. I'm excited. Can Mm -hmm. we try one now? Yeah. Okay. We definitely. (laughs) I mean, you cracked them all open. I'm over here drooling. I know. Well, this first one is actually a little bit, it's kind of crazy and we're really lucky to have it because the wine shop that I work at, Henry and Son, was lucky to get 24 cans of it. That's it. And a friend and I split a four pack so that we could could have some. Um, The producer's called Field Recordings. And you may notice that name because it's a producer of wine. Yeah. And Andrew Jones, a, a former rugby player. And uh, come viticulturist and winemaker, he, you know, makes fun wines, flirting with natural, but not, you know, sometimes he filters and whatnot, but 
always, almost always indigenous yeast. He was having a conversation with some people about what kind of beer do you just want to crush? Have three or four of them hanging out on a hot summer day with your friends. Yeah. And so he got together with the people at American Solera in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's located in Paso Robles or Paso Robles as it's known in English, Paso Robles, California. And they decided to come up with a dry hopped farmhouse ale that has a slight tinge of sour and it's 3.9% alcohol. Wow. Cheers to scores and pours. To scores and pours. Kind of looks unfiltered. Yeah, but it's really light yellow, like it, almost straw. Yeah, it looks like this could be a white wine if it didn't have all the yeah, all, like the head on the top because it I does agree. have some head retention. Really, it doesn't have a creamy head. It has a rather kind of sparse, yep. loose head, but it definitely has some head retention. That's delicious. <laughs> yeah, do you just want to shotgun this? Oh, wait, yes. we already opened it. Just kidding. <laughs> Do you like that little like lemony? I don't know. Yeah. What, what else do you think about it? Uh, you know, I, I feel like I've had session ales that have a much sharper flavor to them. Okay. Or more angular. Like, like the hoppy quality of them? Perhaps. Mm -hmm. Perhaps. This is just a nice, you know, I don't like to use the word light because I think is. some people think it's a derogatory term, but it's a nice light beer. You know what? Anything below 5% alcohol, I think we can call it light. And mm -hmm. and I think I know what you mean. Not lighter in calories, sort of like yeah. this flavorless, watery. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really good. It's definitely a lighter beer for sure. And, um, you know, that when you say angular, I think what you're referring to is a lot of times, like this has, when it's dry hopped, you smell it. But a lot of times you don't taste a ton of hops. It's not like overly hoppy okay. uh, on the bitter factor. And so I think, this he did a really good job of dry hopping just enough, him and uh, American Solera, to get what they wanted in terms of aromatics, but to not have that render it out to be like what you just said, yeah. you know, angular. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Is there anything you don't like about it? There is absolutely nothing that I do not like about this beer. <laughs> I really do like this beer. I would just be digging for problems. If I was like, well, no, I love that this beer is amazing. And I could, I agree. I could crush three of these and just feel great and go bike 20 miles. Well, 15 miles. And, or you could crush one on the way and then crush two afterwards and feel like you just drank a ton of water. Yeah. Beer is the only way, by the way, that you can replace your chromium content after a exercise stint We've emptied the whole can into two glasses, by the way. Yeah, we've it, pretty much crushed it. And we haven't drank it all yet. Not yet. But it is, and it's only a 12-ounce can. He did write, to, it's literally called beer. He made brute and he made beer. Beer is this, you know, this brew that we're tasting. And then brute is, he used a little bit of his pet nat to, you know, spike the really young beer with to have yeah. some sort of fermentation, bacterial... Um, it's really delicious as well. I just th thought that this one was a little bit more, it's every, anything but ordinary, but people would taste this and know it's beer. People would taste the other one and be like, is this beer or is this like a wine cider beer combo or is this kombucha or something like that? I don't know. Yeah. But let's music, yo. Okay. Give me some sessionable music that I can talk over. Do you, I know. <laughs> just kidding. No, we will. Um, do you want to start with classical or jazz? Um, I would like to start with jazz. And the reason why 
is because I, I think we're going to kind of origin this beer to me feels very like American and it feels very experimental and we're going to end in Germany and we'll likely end with uh, Bach. So, oh, we sure could, know. yeah. So is yeah. that okay with you? No, of course. All right. So I wanted to talk about one of my favorite Lester Young albums and one of my memories of the one of my earliest memories of listening to this album is actually a lot like by a pool which is fun so I found it to be really great summertime relaxing just kind of chill music and Lester Young was a tenor saxophone player and he also was a clarinet player for a while I love hearing Lester Young play the clarinet but uh, in any event Lester Young born 1909 to 1959 and he played, he got famous while he played for Count Basie in Count Basie's big band in Kansas City in the early 30s up to about 1940. Pardon me, let me digress. He passed away young, or fairly young, right? So what, do you know what happened there? Uh, yeah, actually, he was an alcoholic. Oh, no. I know, yeah. He wasn't he, drinking the session ales no, when he was playing. He was definitely oh, not. No. I know, yeah. He drank a lot, a lot, a lot. Okay. Uh, so that was unfortunate. But he, he, he kind of had a little bit of a breakdown to, I think it was in the early 50s, and he ended up hospitalized for a while. But then he kind of came back after that and sounded really good, but he still drank, you know. Uh, but anyway... As I take a sip of beer. But anyway, keep I, well, going. Well, I know. The, the irony is never lost on me when, you know, when we talk about like Beethoven or Lester Young or, you know, any of these cats that drank a lot, you know? I mean... They weren't drinking session ales. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's hear some Lester Young from this album. This album was uh, released in 1955, and it features Lester Young on the saxophone and a trumpet player named Harry Sweets Edison. Sweets was Harry Edison's nickname. Lester Young's nickname was Prez. And uh, he got that nickname, actually, from Billie Holiday. But in any event, and actually, Lester Young gave Billie Holiday her nickname of Lady Day. So that's kind of a fun thing. But I, that's total digression, and I apologize. It's totally not digression. That's like people love that shit. Yeah, it's good. well, and there's some more really cool stuff about Lester Young, and even just saying the word cool is a hint of what's to come with him. But let's listen to him play with Sweets Edison on trumpet, Oscar Peterson on piano, uh, Herb Ellis on guitar, Ray Brown on bass, and Buddy Rich on the drums. You had me and at all those cats. I know, right? This is uh, Prez and Sweets. <laughs> If I heard that and some friend were trying to tell me about, like, I don't know, their newest date or who knows what, I'd be like, Shh, wait, hold on. That's how tasty that is. <laughs> yes, yes. But I do think, yeah, it's totally chill and beautiful to have just yep. on going. It's really easy to have on. Thank you. 
this, in your opinion, is this characteristic of Lester Young's tone and style where it's like fairly fluid and not very staccato or pointiagudo, like, it's like very like, like yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, his influence on certainly on cool jazz is large because of his really kind of laid back chill style, but he also could play quite aggressively as well. I mean, in terms of playing like bop, you know, he really could, he could throw down as well. Um, but on this album, this is what he sounds like. And this late in life, this is often what he sounded like too. Do you have another one from Lester Young that we want to just toss on right now just because we can, just to compare and contrast? Yeah, here he is playing Ghost of a Chance. This is from an album called, it's called The Immortal Lester Young. music that not only I listen to but like my grandma would listen to this is also, this could fit into our timeless episode listen to that folks if you're in the mood for some really cool shit cause timeless wines timeless beers, whatever we talk I don't even remember what I talked about uh, cause yeah. there's so many things in my business that are timeless but like this is just, I mean this is yeah. so tasty yeah yeah no this is really really amazing yeah lester young is a good one to have on in the background and um uh, before we move on from Lester, there are a couple things I want to mention about him. First of all, there's this really great short film called Jam and the Blues that you can find on YouTube. And it is this short, it's a short black and white film with Lester Young in it and all these other jazz musicians, Sweets Edison, who we just heard playing trumpet. Uh, Barney Kessel in there on guitar, Illinois Jacquet, who's another tenor player of the time. All these amazing jazz musicians on this little 10-minute film that a director made, and it's you can just watch this little film. They play three tunes. It's really great. Lester isn't on all the tunes, but it's just super cool. So definitely check that out, Jam in the Blues from 1944. Uh, find it on YouTube. And then the other cool stuff about Lester Young is that... <laughs> and I just didn't even do that on purpose, is that he invented a lot of slang that is in our culture to this day, including using the word cool like that. Oh, really? Like, that's all Lester Young. He's uh, also came up with using the term bread for money. Um, and what? crib for home. And he used to call Count Basie homeboy. 
He's the first one to apparently use that term. And he probably is the first person to use the word dig. Like, can you dig it or you dig it? He's probably started that too. So like huge influence on our culture, if you think about that, because those are all terms that people still to this day use, which is crazy. Wow. I know. Yeah. So Lester Young, everyone, he was only around for 49 years, but left a huge impact on certainly every single tenor saxophonist who came after him. And probably clarinetist too, honestly, and um, because he was an absolutely fantastic clarinet player as well, and then just his impact on our entire American culture of slang. So it's pretty cool. So if I say to you, hey, Emily, do you want to come over to my crib to cook some patron-only content? And I don't know who's got the bread in our uh, scores and pours account, but you know, either way, let's see if it's, it tastes so good. Can you dig it? Yes. Thank you, Lester Young. Yes. <laughs> yes. Love Isn't that it. Great. Yes, it's so good. Yep. So anyway, we'll move on to some classical choices next. think the term session ale like what region of the world did it come from it has to be the uk yes i mean it just i don't even it just has to be. i mean they think yeah. it it's it they can't prove it right it's, it's probably much like uh lester young using the word uh dig yeah you know maybe most likely but who knows yeah in theory there's a part of british legislation that allowed people to two times a day drink on the job. <laughs> and <laughs> I know it's so good. And they, so they wanted, obviously they were going to either, you know, drink at the, at the local pub most likely. And they would go there to have session ales. It was like, well, they'll have two sessions that they can drink. And they wanted them to come back and be able to work the rest of their shift and go home and be in good shape. And so that was like British legislation said two sessions a day, people get to drink on the job. And that's where they think the term session ale came from. That makes total sense. Like, I I would never (laughs) argue anyone on that. So before I was in Chicago and I was judging beer, so I had access to taste a lot of session ales um, from all over the world. And they were just starting to make an appearance as a name in like 2005, 2006. People weren't really making... Like Founders has an all-day IPA, and that's their session IPA. The next beer we're going to taste is a session pale ale. That wasn't really a thing, so they just started to trickle in, right, that style. And I remember in about 2002 or so, I went over to Ireland, and I remember going, uh, I was in Northern Ireland at this pub, um, and they had something called Belfast Ale, and it was a local kind of an amber ish ale, quite creamy, um, but it was done on cask style. So it was served at at cellar temperature, had a really creamy head, even though there was no, no nitro and, um, and creamy effervescence. And when I asked the gentleman at the bar, you know, in my like fake accent, cause I just developed one apparently after like two days there, I was like, Hey, uh, barkeep, could you tell me how much alcohol this has? And he was like, why this has only about 4.4. I was like, Yes. Well, you just poured one. You might as well pour me another. <laughs> I was, of course, just kidding. That was my first entry into tasting 
something that I was like, wow, I in Guinness, of course, is low alcohol as well. But at the time, I didn't even think about that because I had, I had already had a few pints of the black stuff. Never mind. <laughs> I'm just going to start talking about that, <laughs> talking in that accent about the local beer that's to come next. I won't do that to all of you. And Emily's about to punch me from the other side of the booth. No, it's just one of those things. It's so funny. So this next beer, when I told Emily the, the three beers in case she wanted to research or something, and I was like, hey, I think we should, I'm going to do these two. And Emily was like, can we do the bent paddle canoe as well? <laughs> I was like, yes, we absolutely can. Bent paddle, they are up in Duluth, Minnesota. We've talked about them a number of times. Yeah, sorry. Because their beers are so good. It's true. And their canoe, which I pronounce canoe because I look <laughs> at it and apparently it looks Spanish to me, even though it starts with a K and that's not right. Their canoe is a session pale ale. So pale ales are usually... They can be less alcohol than an IPA. They're usually less top than an IPA. And the color is kind of goes is all over the spectrum. Um, you know, it can be similar to an IPA or not. They tend to have less alcohol, but I mean, I've seen imperial pale ales. What the hell does that mean? You know, you have <laughs> double IPA, so it's kind of all over the place. This is their session pale ale. They've spiked it with four different hops, CTZ hops. Citra hops, which that one probably a lot of you know from Surly Citra or other Citra, very um, citrus forward hop, El Dorado, and Idaho 7. Idaho 7 is a really fun hop that I love the complexity of and the piney nature of, and it it blends well with uh, other hops. Um, yeah, so let's give this a taste for the 4,000th time. Emily <laughs> Reese here on Scores and Pours. I mean, there's just, again, there's just nothing terrible about this beer. There's only wonderful things about this beer. It's the end of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> we're done. Just us going to shotgun a few of these. No, just kidding. <laughs> if you're going to shotgun a beer, this would be a good one to do. Just, so, you know. It's 4.8% alcohol. The can is beautiful. And let me just read you the back because it's fun. The can says, the weekend warrior, the tin tank, the camp classic, most canoeists experience their first paddle in an aluminum canoe. They are perfect for the beginner, rugged, stable, and not to mention glaringly bright. Canoe Session Pale Ale pays homage to that nostalgic entry point into paddling life. Brilliant hop expression with a structural malt hull instead of malt bill, ha-ha, bent paddle, this session pale is designed to ride along in perfect harmony. And it, the branding is just stupid. This is delicious. Yeah. It's great branding. It's like really drinkable. The color is definitely more of a very light amber. Yeah. To compare it to it's the previous more like one. like honey, like a golden. Like a light golden honey. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what do you think of the malt compared to the last one? It's definitely maltier. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, has like that lactic kind of roundness to it. I love the fact that Bent Paddle has this also like this kind of yeasty quality that carries through their beers. So if you have their Venture Pills or you have other beers, which a lot of them are lower alcohol, you know, for the style, like meaning their Pilsner isn't a 6% alcohol Pilsner or 7 you know, it's 5 yeah. point something. They have this yeast quality that you smell it and taste it and you're like, oh, that's, that's a bent paddle beer, which I, I like that. I think it's kind of fun. Yeah, your like, palate, I think, is refined enough to pick up on those things. I still can't do that with bent paddle, and I've had a lot of bent paddle, but 
I know that you can do that with certain beers and stuff. The head is just nice and pretty creamy and really tight bubbles. It's delicious stuff. Session Pale Ale Mm -hmm. Canoe. If you're in Mexico or Spain or Ecuador or wherever, Canoe. Except for that weird line over the U. See, I know. That's what I mean. I look at it and I'm like, Canoe. Yeah, but portage doesn't, they they spell portage weird too. And yeah, I know. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> let's 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 box. It's probably maybe Norwegian spelling for canoe or something. Why don't I don't know. look it up. Yeah, look it up. So canoe in Norwegian is kano with an o. All right. So let's try Swedish. Yeah. Might be it. Might be uh, Finnish was the mm, only unlikely. I doubt that the Finnish word for canoe looks anything like the actual word English word for canoe. In Swedish, it's kanot with a T. Okay. In Finnish, it's kanoti. Oh, okay. So it is close to canoe. Okay. Well, let's look. Canoe translation. All right. Well, we almost got there. It's in German. Oh, it is? Are we gonna Haydn? Yeah, let's let's quickly Haydn. Because Haydn makes sense because we just had canoe. Yes. Okay, let's do that. Now, well, Haydn mostly Austrian, actually. Well, at the time it was the Austro-Hungarian Empire, it was all the like, Germany, they were all the things together. I suppose, yeah, I suppose. I chose a Haydn string quartet because I wanted to choose something from the classical era when chamber music became such a huge part of the classical music world. Chamber music being small ensembles, duets, trios, octets, uh, you know, usually one person on a part kind of thing. Quartets, string quartets. And just the need to have little ensembles to entertain at gatherings. A lot of chamber music was written for the stage, but a lot of it also was written for not for the stage, for, you know, the party and things. Serenades, all kinds of these little multi-movement works that composers in the classical era, like Mozart and Haydn and even Beethoven and well into the Romantic era, wrote for, you know, gatherings too. In 1787, Haydn wrote a set of six string quartets for a king, King Frederick William II, who was actually a really good cello player. And so these six quartets are notable for having, at times, some really fun little cello parts in them, which is cool. Of the six quartets, the fifth of them is called the dream because of the second movement is very slow and kind of dreamlike. But let's go ahead and just listen to the first movement of that one. Uh, This is string quartet number 40, or if you're the opus type, opus 50 number five. Uh, And here you go. This is uh, Haydn, the dream. And before we listen to that, I will say, you know, I've asked people to make me hoodies with all kinds of weird things. There's an instrument that I was like, send me a wind machine, people. If you ever want to send me a t-shirt that says I'm the opus type, I'm a, I'm a size small. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
One of the most important aspects about chamber music is this conversation that's happening between all okay. the instruments. There's a lot of imitation and back and forth. Do you hear it all? Yeah. Just back and forth. Yep. What I love about this is it reminds me of when I used to work at a really cool wine bar, one of the oldest existing wine bars in Chicago, actually. You know, I would get there at, on a weekend. It would be 3, 2, 3 o'clock that I had to get things ready to open, and we'd open at 4. And people would come sometimes at 4 to have a glass of wine or having a nice, beautiful summer day or whatever. And they'd come in, and I'd say 50% of the time I was playing something like this. And nowadays I feel like that's hard to find. And once in a while I'd ask people, hey, you guys want something more upbeat or you want something more modern? Because yeah. this is, I think, quite upbeat. And they'd say, no, nah, this is great. Huh. You know, to sit at a bar and like have a nice glass of rosé or red wine and listen to this for yeah. 20 minutes before I throw on the Lord knows what. listen to some Bach next, but let's uh, taste some more beer. All right. The last beer I'm going to bring to the table, and I actually won. There were so many that I was trying to choose between, and I elected right now, this is my beer, I would say of the moment, but my beer of life, probably. Why? Because it's so well executed. I can drink this in the shower. I could drink this at 10 p.m. I could drink this on the dance floor. I could drink it if I were having a, I don't know, a really late working session at the computer, and I was like, I'd really love a nice, refreshing beer. If I had to taste it at 9 a.m. because I was judging beer and someone put it in my glass, I could, <laughs> if I could spit it out. It's delicious. It's Fru, F-R-U-H, so we're still in German speak, yes. the Fru Kolsch. And what's so special about Fru Kolsch? Well, it fits in this episode because it's 4.8% alcohol, so yeah. we're less than 5 and so very easy drinking. It's, it doesn't distract from our conversation, um, you know, whomever, the conversation I'm having with friends or whatnot. It's refreshing. It's also extremely emblematic of style. So Kolsch is an ale that's fermented like a lager. So you have very cool temps, longer fermentation and cellaring time, but it's done with an ale yeast, so you still get even though it's not more alcohol, you get like this a little bit more of a creamy mid-palate, a little bit more kind of weight down the mid-palate that's, that's yeasty in nature. And I think of, so for those of you who have had Reisdorf or Sooner Kolsch, those are probably, Gaffel Kolsch is a really, uh, and also really popular one. Those are probably the top three German, they have to be from Köln or Cologne, just like Champagne is a region yeah. to make Kolsch. In Germany, Fru is one of the smallest. 
So I'm very happy to have it uh, at the wine shop that I work at. We have like five liter little pony kegs as well, which is amazing. <laughs> and this guy came in the other day and he's like, what do you think I should celebrate my birthday with? I'm going to have like oysters and a lobster boil. I was like this. And he looked at it and was like, well, that's the dumbest recommendation ever. I'll take eight. And I'm like, I only have two. <laughs> so to give you an idea, Reisdorf Kolsch, it's around the U.S. People love Reisdorf. They make about 580,000 barrels of beer. So close to 600,000. So think of kegs, you know, normal size kegs that people have at, at, a, at a, like underneath a bar. They make less than 400,000. They're one of the smallest production kolsches that come to the U.S. and they're delicious. Cheers. Ooh. Yeah. As my mother would say, that's Dumba. <laughs> Dumba. That's really amazing. It tastes like a lager and the fact that it's light and it's got this not white wine color. We talked about like a white wine straw. This is like a beer yeah. straw color, but very light. It almost looks if we were to put like, if someone were to pour me Coors Light or something like that, this yeah. is like that in that color wheel. Yeah. But it's got way more flavor, even though it is still of that light genre. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really, really good. Oh, and that carbonation is just so well entwined. Yeah. Like you can, it's there and it's so present. Yeah. But it's it's almost like a session portion of the beer in and of itself. Like you're not like, <laughs> oh, the car, like that 3.9, the beer from Field Recordings. Delicious. Definitely carbonation part of the spectrum, but it was like, whoa, fizzy. Hashtag fizzy. Yes. We were like burping. We're like burp beer, burp beer, yeah. edit out, edit out, edit <laughs> out. And this just like, you can hardly tell it's there because it's so well incorporated. Yep. I agree. Yeah. It's very, again, another light, but... A lot, like a lot of flavor. There's way more flavor, I think, in this Kolsch than in the field recordings, even though I loved also the field recordings. This has, you're right, Emily, and this this has like that bitterness that keeps on going. Yeah. That's almost like an IPA, but it's not because it doesn't have that piney, passion fruity, citrusy. This is just like, yeah, it just keeps going to keep this package refreshed. You know, it's 4.8%. What are you going to do with that? And we're yeasty and we're cool fermenting. Let's distinguish ourselves from light beers by having this nice bit of hot presence on the fin. It's just delicious. It's it flipping delicious. It is. I like it a lot. I'm done. Okay. I'm done now. The session beers, <laughs> drink them. It's a perfect time of year for them. Yeah. It's also, even in the winter, like after a ski, you know, you want a nice beer in the shower after a, you know, cross-country ski or whatnot, or if you're in on the West Coast and you have summer all the time, whatever is your story. Yeah. Like, they're just great to be able to have and have again and have again. And if you're maybe a, a taller dude, have again uh, <laughs> and and not really feel a buzz, which is, I know some of the, you know, that's maybe a reason why people drink beer, but uh, it can be nice to just have a few and yeah, not feel the buzz. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's close out with some Bach. Uh, it's been a minute since I've talked about him, I feel like. You missed him. (laughs) I missed him. And my recommendation is anytime you're like, oh, I want some classical keyboard music, uh, just put on some Bach in a major key. Well, hold on, because nobody says, I want classical keyboard music. That's your speak. Piano music. Yeah, exactly. That's what they say. That's what they say. They say (laughs) the word piano. So, uh, you know, I just, I put in our playlist, I put uh, a couple of movements from his first English suite. 
And this is a set of keyboard works, of course, um, not written for piano at the time, written for harpsichord or clavichord. And Bach wrote six of these English suites in around 1713 or 14. Um, he wrote six French suites about eight years later or so. Um, and then after he wrote those six French suites, he wrote six partitas starting in 1726 into the early 1730s. And, you What's know... What's a partita? These are all just keyboard suites. Okay. So a partita is a multi-movement work, usually four, five, six movements, something like that. And so are these Eng the English suites are the same, the French suites are the same. The English and the French suites have a lot of dances in them. Okay. As do the partitas. So uh, the... The English suite, as I mentioned, I chose something from the first English suite. There are only two major English suites. And the reason I recommend these Bach keyboard or piano, whatever you want to hear them played <laughs> on, uh, pieces in, in major modes is because I think they're just easier to have on in, in the background, of, as we've said. I, I think the the minor um, partitas and suites are are absolutely amazing and all of those things, but they, you know, they're really broody and those movements, you know, if a, if a suite is an A major, pretty much every movement's going to be an A major. It's not like in the classical era where they start bouncing around keys as they're cycling through movements that, that really didn't happen with these piano suites or these keyboard suites of Bach. So, you know, it's, it's like, if you're going to have a, an English suite in F major, you're going to have F major for like 20 minutes. And so the same is true for the oh, minor okay. suites. So the minor suites are going to be in D minor for the entirety of the suite. You know what so I mean? So choose piano, Bach, major, major key. Yeah, I think so. And open a session beer with your friends yeah. is what you're saying. I, you can just make a playlist based off of the two major English suites. There's three uh, French suites in a major key and there's three partitas in a major key. Make a playlist of Bach partitas and suites in major keys and you've got like this amazing yeah. awesome just delightful background music that again you can listen to and learn pretty much everything you need to know about composition in one suite but uh, you know in in the same token it's really nice to have on in, in the background as well so well and I did say session beer but also you could open up a 10 to 11 percent alcohol session wine people I'm making yeah. it up it's a session wine <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and let's go. All right, let's listen to some Bach. are being performed by Glenn Gould, who is a very famous interpreter of Bach's music on the piano. was a vocalizer, so if you listen carefully, you can hear him humming over the keyboard 
which drove the recording people mad nuts Good call. Up top for the win across the booth. This is a good one. Yeah, these are great things to have on. In- I mean, in in a way that's like, like I could see myself, again, turning it up because it's so good and telling my friend to can it for like two minutes. <laughs> yeah. While I hug them and be like, it, it's not you. I just want to like, yeah. it's so good. Yeah. Let's move on to uh, the second movement of this A major. As rhythmic and beautiful and positive as the sounds, it'd take me 30% longer to get things done in the kitchen because I'd be like, I'd move around. Mm. I'd like sweep in the kitchen, you know? I'd be like, well, I'll wash a couple dishes. Oh, wait, I'm frying this. Oh, wait, I need to take (laughs) this out of the fridge to come to temperature. Oh, wait, I got to turn the oven on. I'll wash a couple more dishes. Like, this is so... It's just so pleasant. Like, how could you not like this on as you're chatting with folks or hanging out all the while my friends like can you open the fourth bottle of session wine Jill you brought <laughs> over I'm no, just kidding oh it's so pretty it's beautiful top me off will you to bears shit in the woods Emily Reese is the answer to that <laughs> would you prefer the the canoe or the food yeah fruit? me yeah just colch me let's go to, out on uh, French Sweet documentary I would recommend for folks about Glenn Gould. Check him out because it shows his quirky side and also his genius. Yeah. Um, and I just asked Emily, I'm like, did he memorize all these? Because anything I saw him play on that documentary, he wasn't reading music or yeah. I remember him reading very little. And it's very likely, she said, that all of this is memorized, which is like bloody insane. Yeah, he was a pioneer in terms of recorded music. He thought that eventually recorded music would supplant live performances, which of course hasn't and will not happen, but he was very avid about recording music, which, yes, thank you for recording all these Bach works. Um, But yeah, he, he really did not like performing live at all. And you said this is the sixth movement of the French suite number four? 
Uh, this one is, yeah, when we started it out, we were listening to the fifth movement, which is the gavotte, and this is the air. And the gavotte is a dance, right, you have Gavotte mentioned? is a dance, jig is a dance, minuet's a dance, sarabande is a dance, courant is a, yeah, all of those are dances. <laughs> so we talk about, if any of you love what the previous one sounded like, we talked about, we have an episode that's dedicated to... Like waltz and gavotte and dance, stuff like that. And it's actually spread across a few different episodes, so check them out. It's pretty fun. Yeah, and, you know, we'd love to have your patronage. If you want to support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash scores and pours. And uh, we've got tiers there. You can join at various levels. Some of those get merch. All of those include uh, bi-weekly patron-only content, which is recipes paired with wine or whatever we're drinking and classical and jazz. Sometimes we drink soda water. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> this, uh, tonight we're actually experimenting with a recipe. Uh, it, it involves jerky things and rum. So maybe not jerky <laughs> like meat, jerky as in the combination of spice from yep. Jamaica. Yep. So if you love recipes and if you love music and if you love wine and beer and cocktails and such, uh, support us on patreon.com slash scores and pours because you'll get that content every other week to enjoy and we couldn't do this without you to our existing patrons yeah and we're on instagram too at scores and pours you can send us a dm there if you have any uh show ideas we're also on twitter now at scores and pours that's brand new so find us on twitter if that's your thing and you can send us messages there as well Emily Reese, thank you for the sessionable music. It was fantastic and uh, music to my ears, no pun intended. I agree. Thanks for bringing over some delicious brews to have for a great recording sesh. Two scores and pours. Two scores and pours. Thank you for listening to this episode of Scores and Pours with Sommelier Jill Mott and me, Emily Reese. You can find links and information, including a playlist, a wine list, how to get merchandise, all kinds of ways. And you can support us financially on Patreon at patreon.com slash scores and pours. We're on Instagram at scores and pours, as well as Twitter. And that's a great place to get in contact with Emily and myself. Give us show ideas, comments, feedback, and please rate us wherever you listen to your podcast. Also support the musicians that we featured today by buying their music. Edited by Emily Reese and Jill Mott. Our producer is Sam Keenan. Scores and Pours is a production of June Media, Inc.